Hello, and welcome back to Bridgerton Fancast. We are a podcast created by two fangirls to discuss the hit Netflix show Bridgerton and its spinoff, Queen Charlotte. I'm Michelle. I live in the States. You can find me at Musings on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Rita. I live in England, and I'm at Annoying Rita on Instagram and Twitter. In this week's podcast, we'll be discussing episode two, which was ironically titled Honeymoon Bliss. <laughs> uh, it was written by Shonda Rhimes and directed by Tom Vericum. We'll start with a recap, but I want to again give you guys a trigger warning for discussions about sexual assault. If that mm-hmm. is something you don't want to listen to, this maybe isn't the podcast for you. We encourage everyone to prioritize their mental health over this rather dumb podcast. Okay, <laughs> Michelle, off you go. <laughs> Alrighty then. Uh, this episode begins with Charlotte emerging from her gigantic bed and pulling the service bell. Cue the first of many, many dressing montages. She then asks Brimsley what engagements she has for the week. As the queen expects, she has duties. And she can't wait to see the galleries, theaters, and operas her new kingdom has to offer. But unfortunately for her, nothing is planned. She is on her honeymoon right now, and that means no outside contact. We then cut to St. James, where Dowager Princess Augusta's meeting with her regular crew of undistinguishable white male politicians. Uh, Lord Bute, who is the current prime minister and should really be focusing more on, you know, the war that England is fighting right now, is worrying about the Charlotte George marriage. It's imperative that the great experiment of racial equality must be a success. If the actions one usually takes on one's wedding night have not been taken, that would hurt the great experiment. There can be no questions. Do you understand? There will be no questions. Never a question. Let the maternal meddling begin! (laughs) We then get a lengthy montage of Charlotte eating elaborate meals, dressing and undressing into ornate gowns, and then eating alone again. Charlotte breaks up the monotony by reading a book on astronomy, but the isolation gets to her and she screams in frustration when she is alone in her room at night. This is after, like, three days alone. This girl would never have survived lockdown. Back to the future, or 1817, either one. Lady whistles down voice over time, and this one's about patience's limitations as a virtue. Penelope girl, people just come for you for gossip, not your witticisms, like, (laughs) calm down. We watch as older Lady Danbury returns to her dilapidated-looking former country home. We then cut to Violet Bridgerton playing with two of her grandchildren. Who are these kids? <laughs> Whose are they? I know Season two has set three years before the spin-off, and quite frankly, that could be Gregory's kids for all we know. <laughs> we then uh... cut to older Queen Charlotte having tea with slash lecturing her very wayward sons. 
in particular Prince William, who will one day become William the Fourth. You know, the very shouty man from Young Victoria. Yeah, uh-huh. he's trying to convince his mother to accept his love for his mistress, actress Mrs. Jordan, with whom he has over ten children. Christ, My he was God. busy. Charlotte is not having it and tells him to call off the relationship and just get married already. Her other son, Prince Friedrich, is just a lost cause. Yes, married, but estranged from his wife for over 20 years. And you know it's over when she flees the country. (laughs) One of the other sons, I mean, there are seven of them, so don't expect me to keep track, suggests that perhaps it is all too late. Their sisters are past childbearing age and they're all middle-aged layabouts. Charlotte refuses to accept this and tells them that their father's bloodline must continue. One wonders, as England waits to see which of King George's children will bring us closer to a royal heir to the throne, if patience is a virtue or a burden for our dear Queen Charlotte. (laughs) Oh, you poor thing. So, back in 1761, Charlotte loses her patience and tells Brimsley to ready the carriage. She has a husband to confront. She arrives at Kew and is pointed towards the observatory by George's valet, Reynolds. She insists on going alone. Left alone, Reynolds and Brimsley take the opportunity to head to Reynolds' rooms, and before you know it, they're passionately kissing and undressing, all whilst bickering about the state of the royal marriage. Brimsley wants to know why George didn't consummate the marriage. Is there something wrong with his bits? Reynolds insists that there is nothing wrong with George's bits. They hope that whatever the matter is, George and Charlotte can resolve it by spending some time together. Well, at least 15 to 20 minutes worth of time. That tells me there's not enough foreplay in their life. Seriously. Uh, Cut to inside the observatory. Charlotte makes a dramatic, flouncy entrance and asks if this is how he has been spending his time since the wedding. Given the caught and half-eaten meal in the corner of the room, it's clear he has not left the room for days. She tells him she thought he had been to a brothel. Do you know what that word means? I know what a brothel is. Almost. I have brothers. That does not signify. I'm saying that it might be better if you were visiting a brothel. I would understand it more. But no, you prefer stars to my company. While George has been having a whale of a time in his conservatory, Charlotte has been stuck in a stuffy house being changed like a doll uh, three times a day with nowhere to go, no one to talk to and nothing to do. She yells at him that she is new to the country and does not have a single friend except for him, and he would rather spend time mooning over the sky than with her. She has raised her voice at this point, and George looks uncomfortable and tells her he doesn't want to fight. Unfortunately, Charlotte does, and begs him to fight with and for her. He tells her to go home. Reynolds and Brimsley are summoned to St. James's to speak to Princess Augusta. She wants to know what the hell's going on with the newlyweds. Reynolds tries to bullshit his way through the interrogation, and then talk turns to consummation. He and Brimsley are forced to lie. Sure, yeah, 100% banging. 100% all the time, just banging day and night. Bangy bang bang. Bang, bang, bangity bang. Mm-hmm. Bang, bang, bangity bang. <laughs> okay, 
cut to another scene of Agatha being raped while Benny Hill <sighs> music plays in the background. Why, Shonda? Why the music? Why? Why? She goes to have another scolding hot bath. Her maid asks, what could possibly have brought on this attack? Agatha explains that Lord Danbury had tried to enter White's, a very exclusive gentleman's club in Mayfair. As a titled member of the Ton, he had a right to entry, but they refused to allow him in. Agatha fears that her husband will not rest until he's accepted by the people who've rejected him. She's also worried that he might put another one of his gigantic babies inside of her. <laughs> she has kids! Where the hell are they keeping these kids for two seasons? And she's never mentioned it. Like, okay. Okay. Brimsley and Reynolds hold a clandestine meeting at dawn in Kew Gardens. Brimsley panics at Reynolds. They've lied to the Dowager Princess. They need to make sure the marriage is consummated for real and force George to act. Brimsley suggests that the king make a gesture of apology, and Reynolds reluctantly agrees to help. Back in Buckingham House, Charlotte is attempting to enjoy her orangery, attempting being the key operative word here. Uh, it's when she's going through this ridiculous charade of plucking oranges. Um, she receives a note and gift from George. The note says, I never want you to feel alone. Cute, right? Oh, that's so sweet. Charlotte then goes to see the gift and is horrified to find a puppy in the basket. She tells Brimsley that dogs are large and majestic, and the thing that he is carrying is a deformed bunny. The poor little doggy whimpers. Poor babe. After a day and night of being followed around by the dog she completely ignores like a monster! <laughs> Psychopathic behavior! Charlotte snaps and declares she's going to meet her ladies-in-waiting. She's had enough of being told what to do. Brimsley clarifies that he's not there to tell her what to do. He's there to tell her how best to do the things she's not allowed to do, which is quite the confusing sentence. But anyway, they decide that instead of meeting all of the ladies-in-waiting, Charlotte will hold a discreet meeting with just Lady Danbury. Uh, things get off to a rocky start with Lady D and their tea. <laughs> the conversation is stilted and fake because Charlotte has to pretend her honeymoon is just going fabulously great. Love him. But then Agatha asks to speak freely and sends away the million and one servants in the room. They're able to have some good old-fashioned girl talk. <laughs> Lady D tells Charlotte that her own wedding night was painful and terrifying. It's alright if Charlotte's was not perfect. Charlotte just kind of blankly blinks back at her. Agatha starts to spiral. Charlotte did not have a wedding night after all, and if they did not consummate the marriage, she is not actually married. The great experiment and every black aristocrat's title is in jeopardy. Someone has to step into the sex education breach, so she sends for drawing papers and charcoal. Oh, I love a woman who takes control. We cut to Charlotte inspecting the charcoal drawings of people fucking. <laughs> there are many, and they are quite well done. <laughs> yeah. In the corner of the room, Brimsley clutches the dog to his chest with a scandalized expression. <laughs> Charlotte asks if she will enjoy this act. Agatha says she never has, but perhaps if it is with someone you like, it's not so bad. Charlotte says she doesn't like George, so 
would prefer to avoid this altogether, but Agatha reminds her that this is Britain. It was not that long ago that queens were beheaded for not bearing children. Listen to our podcasts on Anne Boleyn if you're feeling nostalgic about that. Agatha then tells her that her deformed bunny is actually a very rare and purebred Pomeranian. You'll find out why that this is relevant in our historical nonsense corner. Because you know we have one. Yeah. We cut back to Agatha being raped yet again, her head repeatedly smacking against the headboard as yet again high jinxy music plays in the background. Apparently, today's assault is due to Lord Danbury being barred from joining the hunt. Ugh. So we go forward to 1817, and Lady Danbury finds herself enjoying a cup of tea with an older Queen Charlotte and Violet Bridgerton. Charlotte has decided that Violet is some kind of expert in the art of getting her children hitched, as she has had two kids married in a year. Season three sounds fun. Violet sort of stutters and suggests that it helps if they are in love. Unfortunately for everyone, all of these children are in love, but with completely inappropriate women. Commoners, Catholics, actresses, married women, etc. Clearly out of her death, Violet is like, uh, hey, what about Lady Danbury? She has kids too. No, news to all of us. Agatha shrugs and says her four children, four children, four, are blessedly continents away, passing the book back to Violet, who spews some flower metaphors, you know, love blooming from the thorniest of gardens, etc., which Charlotte seems to take as, go ahead and find them wives yourself, order them to marry, and they can worry about the love part later. Simple. Love that for her. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're back in 1761. Charlotte is woken in the middle of the night by her puppy, and instead of flinging it across the room, as you would expect from such a monstrous human, (laughs) she brings it closer to her and calls it Pom-Pom, which is such a cute name. Ah, Pom-Pom. Over at the Danbury's, Agatha's husband is freaking out. The Dowager Princess has asked for a meeting with his wife, and he wants to know why. She has to flatter and finesse him, promising to tell him every detail upon her return. I have a feeling she does not tell him the truth. (laughs) I do too. I do too. For fear of yet another bounce in the bed. She makes her way to St. James and is interrogated by Augusta, who wants to know exactly what she spoke to the Queen about. Agatha obfuscates with generalities about ladies and tea. Augusta's annoyance turns to racism. (laughs) She starts calling her girl and Agatha instead of, you know, her title, Lady mm-hmm. Danbury. Agatha has the temerity to call her out on this. She also threatens to tell Charlotte that all the black members of the town had all received their titles on the very day of her wedding. They say game recognises game and and Augusta seems to appreciate that Agatha is smarter than she had anticipated. <laughs> so in exchange for telling her what she knows... Agatha wants income and land along with her title. Augusta scoffs about her choosing money, but Agatha corrects her. Her father-in-law is a king in Sierra Leone. The Danbury's have more money than the rest of the ton, but she needs more than just a title. She needs her husband to be allowed into whites. She wants equal status. Augusta might call her grasping, but it's very clear that she desperately needs Agatha's help. 
And what do you know? When Charlotte goes to eat dinner that evening, her husband just happens to be sitting waiting for her. George begs for an opportunity to explain why he has been so preoccupied lately. Cut to the observatory. George is showing her his telescope. Not a double entendre, unfortunately. He shows Charlotte the planet Venus, which he says he has been studying in anticipation for the transit of Venus. She actually, you know, kind of thinks this is pretty cool. He confesses that he likes astrology because it reminds him that he is just a bit of dust in a world of privilege. Being king is a hazard. My world has been made to revolve around me. It has made me selfish. I cannot imagine how painful and cruel it must have been to have me ruin your wedding night. Twas your wedding night, too. I do not forgive you. Yet. George suggests they start over and try again. Charlotte agrees and they kiss. A lot. <laughs> so George is packing his bags and they head back to Buckingham House together in separate carriages in order to protect secession. They each head into their rooms to undress and prepare. Then, with lots of ado, Charlotte enters George's bedchamber. Brinsley and Reynolds stand outside the room and bask in their achievement. They then quickly make plans to go have some fun of their own. As they should. Yes, they should. Inside the bedroom, Charlotte cracks a joke about her nightgown having a thousand tiny buttons. George tells her, I'm very good with buttons. And everyone watching swoons, (laughs) because damn, uh, they begin to kiss and undress before George abruptly remembers to ask Charlotte, ask if Charlotte knows what happens on a wedding night. Luckily for both of them, she has seen very detailed drawings. And before you know it, they are acting out on one of those drawings in detail. There is then like two minutes of tender lovemaking, and we're not going to describe it because y'all saw it. It was great. We then cut to Lord and Lady Danbury arriving at their new home, a gift from the crown. The palace has also given them land, spots at Eton for their boys, and apparently there are cattle somewhere. <laughs> I would suggest maybe on the land. Yes. Like, obviously. <laughs> Don't know why they're confused about that. <sighs> Lord Danbury is flabbergasted and becomes quite moved talking about how the king sees him for who he is, regardless of his background. That's this is the beginning of a new era. You know, I believe... Hush, woman. I will try the key. (laughs) Yep, racism may be over, but misogyny lives on. Woohoo! Charlotte wakes up the next morning alone. She's told that her husband has a visitor, so she goes to the sitting room and ends up eavesdropping on a very terse exchange between George and his mummy. Augusta demands to know if he has done the deed, and George emphatically tells her that it is salt and pepper voice, none of your business. Uh-huh. Augusta's like, don't be so deluded. Your marriage is the business of the palace, of the government, and the whole country, which sets off a rant from George. The you crown? told me I had to wed for the crown. I did. You told me to charm her to make it easier for the crown. I have done my best. You told me I could not let her know me because I must protect the secrets of the crown. I have not. You told me to bed her. I have done so. I understand. 
It has been abundantly clear since my first breath that I was born for the happiness or misery of a great nation and consequently must often act contrary to my passions. I am the picture of duty. The crown resides within me, embedded like a knife. You do not need to explain it to me, mother. It is me! Charlotte, clearly miffed at being described as a duty for her husband to endure, <laughs> goes off to breakfast alone. Just weird, girl, it was an arranged marriage. What uh-huh. did she think? <laughs> exactly. <sighs> uh, in 1817, Queen Charlotte stares at the empty chair across from her at breakfast with sadness. Brimsley produces a list of suitable brides for her sons. When her breakfast arrives, she calls it lovely and looks over the list in satisfaction. Beside her, a footman holds on to the leads of six yapping Pomeranians. (laughs) Back in 1761, his mother now gone, George collapses off his feet and into a chair. He begins to have a panic attack, and although initially reluctant to call for a doctor, he allows Reynolds to do so on the conditions that Charlotte never knows of it. Oh, I don't think that's going to last the week. But, no. You know. Me neither. <laughs> the end. <sighs> Gosh. Okay. First impressions of this week's episode. Um, I thought it was much better than the first episode. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the first half of the episode was actually very frustrating and a little bit dull to watch because it largely consisted of just watching charlotte get yeah. dressed and undressed and mm-hmm. eating and then reading and then mm-hmm. being at it's just like oh, i was yeah. like can we can we can we do something soon <laughs> i mean i know that we like costumes uh in, you know in these uh dramas that we watch and you know bridgerton has pulled out some of the most exquisite uh, garments that we've seen in uh, English period dramas to date, but we didn't need to see the whole damn wardrobe for the season. The first scene, I was like, "Oh, I love a dressing montage." And mm-hmm. do you know how many dressing montages you have to get before I start being annoyed? Like yeah. a lot. It's it a lot. Too much. Yeah, <laughs> it gets it gets boring after a while. But I think towards like right towards the end of the episode, they were finally tackling some of the things we raised last mm-hmm. week, mm-hmm. and like bam, the episode ended. Which yeah, was really frustrating as well. I think it's great yeah, it's if like, you're but binge. Things are just getting good, and then it don't end now. <laughs> if you're binge watching, that probably was like great because you're like, oh, I need to watch the next episode. Mm-hmm. But if you're us, that yeah. was really fucking frustrating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was that was oh. just like oh god you're just but at least like I have enthusiasm to watch the next episode which yeah, was not here. the case last week I same waited here. like a good couple days to like mm-hmm. bother to watch this episode yeah I was like oh I didn't watch the episode until uh, I want to say it was uh, Sunday yeah me too. yeah you know I was just kind of like you know I'd finished watching my most recent. K drama um, obsession, and uh, it was like, oh, God, what am I going to do? And I was on Netflix, and I was like, Oh yeah, I have to watch this. <laughs> <sighs> Just like I had to take some medicine or something like that. But uh, yeah, it uh, it it. I had the same uh, feelings about it as you did um, with the kind of slow, slow and tedious start of things um and then um enjoying the the latter half of the episode 
Um, you know, I think that as they refer to it in the show, the great experiment, um, and seeing how things weren't quite going the way that they should be. Um, you know, for it them. Out, giving people titles doesn't just magically fix exactly. problems. Exactly. You know, it's like, I'm not going to just be happy if you slap a title on, but I'm not able to avail myself of the privileges that that title holds. And so, you know, I, I, I enjoyed seeing how that wound up getting addressed and, um, God bless Agatha Danbury and her <laughs> basically saying, um, no, ma'am, it is not Agatha. It is Lady Danbury. While she was there, she could have been like, actually, I want to be a duchess, motherfucker. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, Lady Danbury, that's fine. Duchess Danbury sounds much better. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and it was wonderful to see her stand up and, you know, basically say, uh, the titles aren't doing it. I need for there to be something that my husband can do other than bounce on me. Uh, uh, so he needs to get in get the whites. Get him to the gentleman's club. Yeah, get him he away needs from to me. go to whites. <laughs> he needs to go on the hunt. He needs to go, uh, you know, wherever else these uh, lords go. Um, and we need to be able to have a respectable residence uh, in order for us to truly be Lord and Lady Danbury. Um, and I loved how she said, you know, my father is a king in father in law. Father in law. Father in law is a king in Sierra Leone. It was like, uh-huh. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, you're not the only one with money, honey. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they had money, why are they living out in a quite small Tudor mansion? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Uh so I I th I thought that I loved the way she handled the uh contradictions that were taking place uh, within this great experiment and uh basically said, put up or shut up, yotch. <laughs> I did love that scene. Oh me too. And speaking of the great experiment, mm -hmm. um I was thinking about how best to sum up my feelings I get, like, watching the storyline play out. Mm -hmm. And I think it's akin to the frustration of trying to solve a complex riddle that everyone else seems to understand, but that I'm struggling to get. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. A lot of people are like, relax, it's just fiction. But that makes me feel more frustrated because I, I feel like in a fantasy genre there are in-universe rules. Mm -hmm. I know I sound like Monica Geller, like, guys, rules are good. <laughs> rules help control the fun. <laughs> but I need rules. Um, I don't understand the universe yet. And I feel yeah. like one of your basic jobs is to lay the foundations <laughs> mm -hmm. of the universe you're living in. We're like three seasons. This is like the third season of the show. I'm still like, hey. <laughs> I don't think slavery happened, but I'm not completely sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned the Sierra Leone thing. Um, 
England had a huge uh, settlement there where they did a lot of slave trading at the, this particular moment in history. So I'm like, mm-hmm. maybe that didn't happen? Question mark. <laughs> Probably not. You would think not. But then, like, it's not explicit enough to... Like, why am I guessing? <laughs> why are you making me guess? Yes, you need to build out the framework. You know, if we're going to take the time to go back to, mm-hmm. you know, 17 whatever whatever um you need to lay the groundwork so that we understand where we are in 1817 so if you're going to say that slavery didn't happen in order for you know this uh universe to exist then fine say it just just be you know? more, I think I just need it to be slightly more explicit. Mm-hmm. Everything else is explicit on this show. Why is uh, this yeah. the thing they, they're, yeah. oh, I don't know. They're pussyfooting around, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why they have to keep the fact that all the black community got a bunch of titles secret from Charlotte. Yeah. Because she knows she's the first black royalty in England. Mm-hmm. Surely she'd be aware that this was <laughs> a quite seismic shift. Mm-hmm. But she, they're acting as if like she thinks it's normal, and they made it clear in the first episode with Adolphus's line that you know she's the first one, mm-hmm. and that's confused the shit out of me. Yeah, I'm I mean, not going to lie. Charlotte is not a naive. Well, okay, in one regard, she was naive. She's very naive. Yeah, but you know, I think that she's smart enough to be able to figure out that. You know, all of these titles, you know, is, this is a completely new thing. And and it's happening because of her. I don't think that she is stupid enough not to be able to put two and two together. Um, I think that the fact that they have kept her secluded uh, because of this, you know, honeymoon, quote honeymoon, unquote, yeah. um, is giving them the opportunity to try and hide it from her. But, you know. <sighs> How she, long do they think they could get away with that? She's going to talk to these honestly, people. Honestly, honestly. And the way that she has established a um, uh, confidant relationship with uh, Agatha Danbury means that Agatha is going to give her the 411. And or is she? Because I think she now has a... She's basically aligned with Augusta at a cost. Yeah. She did say, I could tell her this, but I won't if I get what I want. Mm-hmm. I mean, she doesn't have to explicitly say it. I would just yeah. like, casually steer her towards, like, why don't you ask when these people got their titles? Mm-hmm. Yes. I guess I also, like, am confused about George as well. Like, at no point has he been like, hey, you're the first black queen. <laughs> he's. You think he would know the society he's grown up in? Yeah. It's just not been a subject um, yeah, at all. It's like they're in their own little bubble. It's like they don't exist in the same storyline as everyone else, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, it's just not been a topic. I hope yeah. they talk about it. It's I do pretty too. fucking weird that they I haven't. I do too. And I'm, I'm hoping that we get uh, a lot more clarity about uh, this whole situation in the next episode. So confused. Um, yeah. On a positive note for the storyline, though. Yes. Um, I <laughs> I don't know what happened. Maybe I'm PMSing, but I actually 
started tearing up in the scene where Lord Danbury was speaking about this being a new era and a mm-hmm. man being seen for who he is, mm-hmm. not where he came from. Mm-hmm. I was like so moved by that. Um, but then I remembered <laughs> Agatha had to fight tooth and nail to get just a scrap from mm-hmm. Augusta, which kind of made it, uh, it's just a whole fucking lie, isn't it? But yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if that was true? Yeah. <laughs> Such a yeah. nice scene. And it made him like feel like less like a cartoon villain and more like a, an actual person character that, yeah 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 a real um, person I, with struggles I, yeah i just hope that we have seen the last of the bouncing oh. because i was ready to throw something at the tv i think he's going to be killed off pretty soon to be honest <laughs> yeah he's getting paler and paler that's not a healthy man <laughs> yeah he doesn't sound healthy when he's um attempting his uh, i don't I don't even want to talk about it. I would love, I would love to hear the actress who plays uh, Danbury about her thoughts about the whole thing. I really would. I don't know. I don't (laughs) like, I don't want her to have to defend the storytelling decision as well. Uh, And again, it's not that the fact that she is being assaulted, that's, it's the tone. It's the... Exactly. And it's funny that you uh, kind of mentioned the Benny Hill music, because that is precisely what was going on in my head while I was watching this It is this very scene. Benny Hill, isn't it? Oh, the, yeah. The sh- just gross old man and the far too young and attractive woman. Is yeah. The... I, I am not in this for the, the yuck, yuck, yucks. Uh, so let's let's stop that, please. Please. Please make it yeah. end. Mm-hmm. Um, so sex in the British universe. I've mm-hmm. been listening to uh, Karina Longworth's You Must Remember This podcast series about sex in movies and TV in the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s. It got me thinking about the way that Bridgerton handles its sex scenes um, in the two previous seasons of the show and in this spinoff. I mean, we've gone on quite a journey from season one, which felt those scenes were like much more of a heightened fantasy. Like mm-hmm. there were improbable positions happening, <laughs> like Daphne's pullback. And it was just like perfect looking bodies yes. going at it in unrealistic ways. And as the show's become, I think, much more secure in its own success, they've really toned it down considerably. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yes. scene we got in this week's episode, by contrast, was much less like something you could have seen on stars in yes. back in the day. <laughs> yes. It was it it did not um like it reach my bowchika wow wow meter. No. Yeah. You know, it was it was just it was a lovely love making scene. It was tender. It was much more intimate, yeah. Yes. It was it was lovely. And uh good lord those two have great chemistry. <gasps> really do. Yeah, well, you can have to. Yeah, and George and George is just charming AF. Oh, I know. Ugh. Damn it! I think it's interesting also to consider that like the show can do both. I hope mm-hmm. we do get some of the weird fantasy, weird sex scenes back where you're like, "How is this <laughs> happening?" Because they were yes. also quite fun. Yes, like I think we need both, and mm-hmm. I think it's 
interesting that like this show understands its audience's needs because it's not always mm-hmm. about like weird i don't know like why i Get keep calling it weird but the, 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 the i keep thinking about daphne is back on those stairs in oh, season yeah. one and thinking like yeah. oh my god she's not good she can't sustain that for more than like 30 seconds like <laughs> <laughs> yeah no uh-uh that that you know poor child is gonna have some serious lumbar spine issues um after uh, after that but yeah i mean i i agree it'll be it would be nice to see them you know exploring their passions because clearly the two of them like one another and uh and as we know uh historically um you know they were very much in love uh you know george didn't have a mistress the entire time that he was married to Charlotte. Well, um, 15 kids, man. They were yeah, going at it like bunnies. Exactly. Bunnies. So it's clear that they had great love and affection for one another. And it would be wonderful to be able to see that, see that manifested um, at some point during the show. So uh, I'm hopeful. I am concerned about the panic attack stuff because that, that was that was uh slightly terrifying um and he did a great job of showing someone just kind of slowly collapsing to that kind of uh uh anxiety attack so um that was good performance from him but uh oof, we know we know it's going to get a lot worse speaking of real life uh-huh. unnecessary Historical context corner. <laughs> Trying and raise my enthusiasm for this. Everybody's like, shut up, Rita. Okay. Um, so the bedding ceremony um referred to in this episode was a wedding custom of putting the newlywed couple together in the marital bed in front of numerous witnesses. Purpose of this ritual was to establish the consummation of the marriage, either by actually witnessing the couple's intercourse, gross, or yeah. symbolically by leaving before consummation, which would be my choice. Yes, it please. symbolized the community's involvement in the marriage. It would have been like so much more expedient if people had just been in the room. <laughs> <laughs> In England, the ceremony usually began with a priest blessing the bed, after which the newlyweds prepared themselves for bed and drank wine. The groomsmen and the bridesmaid then sat on the side of the beds and threw the couple's stockings at them. (laughs) Crazy. All right. A hit was believed to indicate that the thrower would soon marry. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Finally, the curtains were drawn around the bed and the couple were left alone. Some newlyweds refused to take part in the bedding ceremony. King Charles I of England notably barred the door to his bedroom. (laughs) You know, the one that got his head chopped off. Yeah. However, (laughs) despite his rejection, the custom remained prevalent for another century among all social classes, including the royal family, until Princess Charlotte's insistence that there was no public bedding ceremony after her wedding. It was a reminder that the royal body was the property of the state. The morning after, bed linens might be displayed as proof of consummation. Thus the saying, to air one's dirty laundry in public. Oh my god. Who knew that was where that came Ah! from? Oh my god. That is just 
so disgusting. You know, of course, we know that not all um, first sex experiences involve bloodshed, you know? Oh, yeah. Some of them do. I think sometimes sometimes they faked it. Yeah. There's lots of stories about people like... Get a chicken. (laughs) Using pig's blood and shit. Get a chicken. Let's go. Get some chicken blood Um, on there. And and it's just revolting. Transit of Venus time. Mm-hmm. Actually kind of worth the fuss George made about it. The transit of Venus is among the rarest of predictable astronom- astronomical phenomena. They occur in the pattern that generally repeats every 243 years. <laughs> the last transit of Venus was on the 5th and 6th, June 2012. The next transit of Venus will take place on the 10th of 11th of December 2117. Damn. That is so fucking far away, guys. Damn. So, <laughs> in 1761, there was a rare celestial alignment. Venus was to pass in front of the sun, taking about six hours to cross. By recording the time of the start and end of the event from wildly separated locations around the globe, some kind of trigonometry could be used <laughs> to calculate the distance to Venus and the sun. With that, Kepler's laws of planetary motion could be used to calculate the orbits of all the planets out to Saturn, the outermost known planet. So this was a big fucking deal. Yes. This required government-funded expeditions with hundreds of astronomers traveling around the world to conduct this single crucial scientific experiment. Around 200 astronomers from Britain, Austria, and France traveled to destinations around the world, including Siberia, Newfoundland, and Madagascar. And also, by the way, there was a little thing called the Seven Years' War going on, so absolutely terrible traveling conditions Uh one of the astronomers set out and got their ship was sunk (laughs) had to go all the way back to england everyone was like stop being pussies man up go back to the ocean (laughs) what are you doing here so your ship get back out there get out there (laughs) time's a waste in here man (laughs) um George III had a real observatory built on um, Old Deer Park near Kew. It's actually kind of impossible to visit now (laughs) as it sits on the grounds of a private golf club. But, you know, Google Images exists. Give it a look. It's kind of cute. It's fun. Um, Okay. Looks nothing like the one they used on the show. (laughs) Whatever they used on the show looked like it was basically a conservatory. Yes. Which, which, through which they stuck a telescope. Yeah. Choices were made. Mm-hmm. And finally, the information you've all been waiting for, the Pomeranian. <laughs> it's a breed of dog descended from larger Spitz-type dogs, specifically the German Spitz. It's, so you think she would be familiar uh-huh. with these tiny dogs. Yes. It's named for the Pomeranian region in northwest Poland and northeast Germany. Which, incidentally, right next to Mecklenburg. Oh, God. So he... You must know about these dogs. But I think when she realized what the name was, she was like, oh, he picked a oh. dog specifically for me. Yes. <laughs> okay. So the breed has been made popular by a number of royal owners since the 18th century. Specifically, Queen Victoria, who owned a particularly small Pomeranian 
Consequently, the smaller variety became universally popular. So not a dog that was associated with Queen Charlotte. This is a Queen Victoria thing that they've now <laughs> given to, to Charlotte. Grandmother? Mm-hmm. Yes. Or grandmother. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, I was trying to work out lineage there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that's done, let's do storylines. Yes. Um, Charlotte and George, 1761. Uh, you know, we're dealing with the isolation that Charlotte is experiencing and then also the fragile state of George's mental health. Um, you know, I don't know if they intended for this uh, episode to have taken place over the course of a week or two weeks. Um, you know, or two days, three days. Um, I'm imagining it is probably a week. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, poor Charlotte being stuck, stuck in the castle with basically nothing. Well, okay, she had a shit ton of stuff. <laughs> but really, you know. Crab me a river, though. She's living in. A life of absolute luxury, mm-hmm. eating exquisite meals, yes. reading any book she likes. I yes. mean, sure, she can't touch an orange, and that's annoying. <laughs> but I trade that life. <laughs> that sounds fine. <laughs> Give me a dog. I'll be happy. <laughs> well, you know, that's... She doesn't strike me as being an introvert like you and I. <laughs> she oh, strikes yeah. me definitely more as an extrovert. So, uh, you know, I think you and I would do just fine being all by ourselves in that big old castle and We're doing living out our beauty in the beast life. Exactly. <laughs> to, um, I'll but, talk to a teapot. I don't give a <laughs> shit. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, for Charlotte, especially being in a new country, um, it, that had to be um, just awful. And you see at the end of the episode, she's kind of, like, completely at ease. Mm-hmm. She even is like, oh, this is a nice breakfast, which mm-hmm. makes all of her servants really happy. And I was like, oh, she's really become at home there. And just, mm-hmm. like, she might not be out there in the streets having the time of her life, but she's, you know, she's got her dogs, she's got mm-hmm. her servants, she's fine. You know, yeah. she's adapted. Yes. She has, by contrast to the beginning... Where she was going fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know, and screaming in her giant bed every night, you know. So, uh, you know, I think that, you know, and I think that it shows us um, a glimpse into how she manages once her husband, you know, has gone full on straitjacket. Um, you know, she is uh, showing us her ability to, you know, be the queen to be alone, um, but to be able to, you know, do what she needs to do as part of her life without, you know, oh, George, where are you, George? That kind of thing. There's a melancholy, of course, um, that she has. And, you know, we've seen that in the previous um, uh, series for Bridgerton. But, uh, you know, we get a glimpse of her figuring out how to navigate this new universe um, and do it well. Yeah. I like seeing, like, obviously there's a romance element to it, but I also Mm -hmm. like that the show is saying, you know, it's not your entire world, your relationship with your husband 
is only a part of your life mm-hmm. and you can still lead a very fulfilling life even if that relationship for some reason ends or changes in some way you're still mm-hmm. a whole person without it and i mm-hmm. think that's also you know a good message to send yes. from a show that has largely been about romance um yes. Speaking Agreed. of George's mental health, though, um, yeah. I mean, we only really got a brief moment at the end of the episode, mm-hmm. um, but I think it really retroactively coloured the entire episode because mm-hmm. I think he he tries to sell her on this idea that he was, you know, oh, being a king's made me selfish, blah, blah, blah. It's warped my sense of importance. Um, mm-hmm. I remember that he's only been king for a matter of months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's the change in personality has not been that quick and the first thing he did when introducing himself to her in episode one was be really self-deprecating about the fact that he's a king so i think i think he's just using that as an excuse he's been going to the observatory i think as an escape Mm -hmm. from the pressure because it became all too intense for him yeah i don't really like it's not really clear what the show's take on his mental health problems actually are mm-hmm. there are so many theories floating around out there because we have very scant e- amounts of evidence um it definitely looked like he was having a panic panic attack at the mm-hmm. end and you know it's possible for anxiety to lead to psychosis symptoms when oh, your yeah. anxiety is particularly severe and he definitely had psychotic episodes towards the end of his life Hopefully we get more of this storyline in episode three because I do want to kind of compare and contrast with the reality of what mm-hmm. happened because A, I think it's interesting and B, mental health problems mm-hmm. are not very um, prevalent in period dramas. I mean, we've mm-hmm. got a little bit of it in um, Dark, which that storyline was amazing, by the way. That was mm-hmm. the only good thing about season yeah. five. Yeah. Um, from what I remember of the 90s movie of The Madness of King George, and to be fair, that was a very long time ago that I watched it. Um, yeah. And I don't, I've, I've never seen it. We should watch it. Um, okay. They, were go- they went with a medical theory that's now kind of been disproven. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if they've gone with something a bit more realistic, in my opinion, which is mm-hmm. just... Your classic anxiety leading to psychosis. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. I'm very interested about this storyline in particular because I'm like, this is one of my interest areas, so we mm-hmm. say, is um, mental health issues, particularly yes. in the past because the practices were just so barbaric. Yeah. Absolutely insane. I wonder if they're going to shave his head. Don't do that, please. He oh, has good no, because he's, yeah, no, no. Although, knowing him, he's probably going to look hot as hell yeah. without, without hair. With those cheekbones? I know, right? Oof, baby. Well, okay, how about Charlotte and Pom Pom? Oh my god, the real enemies to lovers <laughs> Oh my god, I love how she started calling him Pom Pom. Oh, I don't love how she, when she saw him, she did like a whole shudder and like, ugh, yes. and she went, ooh. And I was like, this woman is evil. <laughs> Why would you call such a cute baby a deformed bunny? Psychotic behavior. 
Well, you know, as she, and I'm not making excuses for her because, damn, girl, it, it just grew up right next door to where you live. But, um, uh, you know, when you think about the German dog breeds, and there is actually a very funny guy on uh, TikTok and YouTube who does these uh, uh, videos about you know, uh, how, uh, particular dog breeds react to robbers. Um, and, uh, they're hilarious. And then also, um, being an angel that creates dogs. Um, and God <laughs> is like, Oh, you created a new dog. What is it? And you know, that kind of thing. Um, he's very, very funny. Um, and send me these videos. That I will. sounds exactly like my type of humor. <laughs> I will. I will. I think you're going to just go down a serious rabbit hole when uh you see these but uh i mean who needs a next week's podcast i'll just be there (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like where's rita oh she's she's watching all these dog breeds uh yeah his name is johnny devaney um and you know he has uh, amazing videos so yeah i will send those to you um and for those of you that are um uh listening to the podcast i would strongly recommend uh, checking him out if you are needing something to laugh to laugh at um uh his videos are hysterical but uh anyhow so he's done uh several uh uh where he's uh, imitated uh pomeranians and and other dogs but uh one of the ongoing shticks about the whole uh angel god creating dogs thing is it always seems like these dogs are coming out of Germany. <laughs> so there was one yeah. where there was one where, you know, God is like another, another German dog. Um, so when you think about uh, some of the classic dog breeds that come out of Germany, you've got the German shepherd, you've got the Rottweiler, you've got, you know, you know, all of these you know, like boxers, uh, you know, these big, majestic dogs um you know i had no idea that they also came out of germany i thought they came out of france because they're tiny and you would mm-hmm. think that french people would love that tiny well, they fluffy didn't dog off, <laughs> they didn't start off quite as small as they are now I, uh-huh. like as i explained earlier they were they became smaller and smaller yeah. but you wouldn't be able to like get a bigger version of the Pomeranian to make it accurate for the show. If mm-hmm. That would be a weird <laughs> flex to do. Yeah. Just absolutely too nitpicky at that point. <laughs> I love a dog storyline. I love dogs. I love watching the dog walk around on its tiny, tiny feet in the big palace. <laughs> and I loved Brimsley calling it the... <laughs> the gesture and then he's like your gesture has tiny legs yes (laughs) i couldn't get it quickly enough yes that was awesome (laughs) there was also a scene where brimsley was holding the dog and the dog had its little paw out aggressively yes charlotte like don't come near me (laughs) i'm with my daddy (laughs) oh it's just so precious and uh, and then i loved seeing at the end of the episode, seeing Queen Charlotte just surrounded by them, she's yes. like, this dog is amazing. I've yes. got all of the dogs. <laughs> That's the uh, life. Yeah. That, was, that was great to see how her feelings uh, had changed 
towards her sweet little pup. And, uh, yeah, then seeing the, the, uh, older queen with, you know, her herd of Pomeranians, <laughs> um, was, you know, wonderful. And it made me think, you know, was this something that, you know, she would receive a new one for, uh, from George, you know, as a token of his affection or something like Aww. that. Uh, that's kind of where my mind went when I saw all of them, you know, as a kind of a, a demonstration of, you know, how he, how much he loved her. Um, it also so. really reminds me of Queen Elizabeth II, like just being traveling everywhere with her little corgis, yes. like <laughs> the photos of the corgis being taken out of the private jet on state yes. occasions. This is like my favorite. They look so yes. traumatized. Like, oh, <laughs> God. Oh, no, I, I just I just love it. Um, let's see. Um, as far as um, we're talking a little bit about the older uh, Charlotte in 1817, what were some of your thoughts on? how she was navigating the entire uh, situation with her sons uh, during this episode. Ironically, I thought it was very Augusta-like. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> she's just basically mimicking her mother-in-law. Like, uh-huh. You will get married. You will make babies. Yes. Many, many babies. <laughs> and you will not have a say. Yes. Oh, I love it. It's just like duty, duty, duty. Your feelings do not matter. <laughs> I think she, she there was a scene where Augusta was like sitting in the middle of the couch with her skirts splayed out, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, Charlotte does that now." It's like uh-huh. she's sort of become her mother-in-law. Yeah, um, yeah, that's <laughs> scary. Yeah, I there... also loved the scene with the where Violet was basically doing her Disney <laughs> princess travel yes. and. Charlotte was just like, great, I'm going to do the opposite of that, but thanks for the input. I mean, uh, the you had posted something on Instagram um, on the In the Books Network uh, feed of the clip Good where, plug. yeah, where the, where she says, you know, the, the flowery, um, the flowery metaphors are making me nauseous, but I get your point. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and it was, that was a great line. I love the I've friendship. Never felt that more those, seen. Yeah. I, I love the relationship that the three women have. Um, uh, it, it would be lovely to see the younger Violet. I think we are. They've, I remember when they announced the show, they mm-hmm. said that there would be, uh, younger Violet, but by the way, that doesn't make any sense because I know this. The timeline would make her like pushing sixty, seventy, <laughs> and she's clearly not. Yes, <laughs> well, none of these women are, but sh- her even yeah. less though. Yeah, I mean, she's got like a eleven-year-old. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, who knows yeah, yeah. how old Agatha's kids? Also, isn't she older than Agatha? Being older. Than Queen Charlotte, but wait, she needs to have had time to have four children. Okay, uh-huh. look, I've just started thinking about the timeline, and it oh, doesn't God. make any okay. sense. So walk let's away, just stop. walk away, just walk away. Okay, so how do you like how they're managing the the two storylines? I think it's weird how little time is devoted to eighteen seventeen. Uh-huh. I feel like if we're gonna get invested in what's going on with her sons, we need to 
spend more time there and like yeah. know them. Yeah. I think the only thing that's really keeping this me interested is just the performances are incredible and mm-hmm. you know they're funny and mm-hmm. you know we've seen them before in other stuff. Yeah. Um the transitions are sometimes a bit like random and there was this weird fade effect which felt very like TV movie from 1983. Um <laughs> weird. I don't know. What do you think? Um you know, I think that um and I did get a little spoiled today about uh episode 6. I won't say <gasps> any more. Don't tell um, me. I'm not going to. Um but you know, I do think that we will eventually begin to see more of the older Charlotte um in the the show. Um and I think that's important because you know, even though this is a, a prequel to the Bridgerton story, I think it is going to be important to see how, you know, these early experiences that she has had are manifesting themselves in the 1817 Charlotte. And I think we're going to wind up shifting the focus from the past to more of the present if we're staying in the 1817, you know, the 19th century aspect of the show. Um, I hope so. That would be a very interesting way to do it as well, because Mm -hmm. I think the further we get along in the past, which is Mm -hmm. actually talking, just talking about this is confusing. I know, I know. Both in the past, but the further (laughs) we get in the past, like the less, story there is there yeah. because like at a certain point she's gonna work out he's sick they're still mm-hmm. gonna have kids they're mm-hmm. gonna just do the best they can yeah. at the end yeah um and then there's still much more story to tell mm-hmm. coming up and yeah one thing that's always in the back of my mind is that we're coming towards the end of both of their lives so i'm always like mm-hmm. there has to be like a conclusion coming yeah <laughs> yeah where they where they look back at their whole life together mm-hmm. and that needs to be done um yeah. in the future slash past mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my god this is so hard to talk ah! about um and you know in in thinking about that when did charlotte die she died a year before george so okay. 1819 so okay. two two years time <laughs> okay they both uh, lived to be quite old. If we mm-hmm. were in like real people time, mm-hmm. they would both be in their seventies. Oh wow, that is that is pretty impressive for back then. Like yeah. late eight, late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, which is that's... why I do sort of look at this show and go, like, you're too young, <laughs> <laughs> you're too hot. This doesn't work. <laughs> And then if you think that Lady Danbury is supposed to be even older than her, like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, speaking of Lady Danbury, um, I know I've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, how how impressed I was uh, with her uh, in this episode. Any other thoughts about Lady Danbury and, and her shenanigans? Um, I just want to say, like, she's... An impressive character. I think she may be my favorite on the show because mm-hmm. she has so much more agency than 
Charlotte, who is, mm-hmm. um, you know, fault of her own. Mary's just sitting and waiting for her husband to show up. Um, yep. But with Lady Danbury, you got a real sense that she could drive the storylines forward. She was bold. She stood up to Augusta. Mm-hmm. She had all these incredible moments. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, her choice to sell out Charlotte so that she can secure her own. Mm-hmm position was mercenary mm-hmm. but as a slytherin i respect it also it's gonna help <laughs> i like, made me approve of her um, and i also think it's a great contrast to someone like violet who has her heads in the fucking clouds like yes. idealistic if you asked violet how how the two communities integrated she would be like true love and then if you asked <laughs> agatha um, she'd be like, "Oh, I fucking worked my ass off to get the- where oh we are God. today." So, you know, <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of Augusta, she had her own shenanigans this week. I, look, <laughs> I'm gonna caveat this by saying she did more racism this week. <laughs> yeah, she I did. I still think that's terrible. Yeah, um, she did. But I, I have some sympathy for the fact that she's the only person that's kind of keeping the government and the great experiment and everything going yeah keeping george afloat um while he's off staring at venus because of his imploding mental health she's Mm -hmm. doing like all of the political maneuvering for him trying to keep you know the houses of parliament off his back and securing succession so that when he does have his full-blown mental health crisis they have a regent in place yes and i think the giveaway for me is when she kept calling him georgie Instead of the king in that scene, <laughs> like yes. she still sees him as her little boy, her little boy. Yeah, that she's tr- trying to protect. Mm-hmm. She must know about his his mental health problems, um, and she must know that like it's only a matter of time before he's just like eaten yeah. alive by yeah. all these vultures around them. So yeah. I think she's gone into like full protective battle mode um, mm-hmm. at the cost of pretty much everyone. <laughs> around them (laughs) specifically charlotte and um michelle farley's perfect goddess love her she is just phenomenal she's a phenomenon yeah i i absolutely love the um mature actresses that they have in these roles i think that they've they've done a masterful job of casting for these um and I, I will have to say and offer up uh, props to the younger uh, Queen Charlotte, who is her mimicry of, oh, yeah. of um, mannerisms uh, is mind-blowing. <laughs> she must have watched Bridgerton more than us, just uh-huh. over and over again. <laughs> yep. Yeah, just so that she could make sure that she's got those mannerisms down, because... Uh, girlfriend is on fire uh, with that role. Um, okay, Brimsley and Reynolds. No, yeah! well, Bridgerton's uh, first queer sex scene. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're talking about how you know they've uh, managed to kind of tame down things <laughs> in the sex department, they just went full on. <laughs> well, not full on. The, you did. Well, I was like, I mean, pretty damn close uh, to uh, 
you know, commit to the Brimsley Reynolds um, thing. Oh, we have to come up with a couple's name for them now. Brimsnoles? Brim, Brim, Brimsley. Rensley's good. Ooh, that's nice. I like that. Rensley. Yes, I like that. Although, you know, it was kind of hard to figure out who was the top in the whole situation. Oh, definitely Brimsley. Oh my God. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. I, I absolutely loved it. I, you know, I, I, I'm like, okay, I'm here for this. I am here for this. Yes. I want to see how they rub along together now that they're in the same household. I'm sorry for using rub along now. Um, but, you know, they've got vastly different priorities and Reynolds yes. is keeping the secret. It's like, oh, is this going to cause tension in their relationship? Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Oh, it's um, going to be good. I do kind kind of have Sanditon-related bitterness where I'm like, oh. <laughs> we've got more side characters that are gay that are probably yeah. not going to get the screen time they need. <laughs> Yeah. And that is not this show's fault. This is Sanditon's fault. Yes. <laughs> Damn you, yes. Sanditon, getting me invested. Um, <laughs> exactly. It's like, <laughs> we love Arthur so much. So much! I love Brimsley. Brimsley's becoming a yes. sneaky fave. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because he's like always holding a dog, which is oh my, God. my kryptonite. Um, yes. <laughs> favorite scene. What was your oh. favorite scene? Oh, gosh. Um,. I think the the orange scene I thought was hilarious. Um and oh gosh, the scene with uh Lady Danbury uh facing off with uh Princess Augusta. Uh I think is probably my my all-time favorite. Uh the orange scene had me in stitches and the ro- the the lovemaking scene was really just beautiful. Um I'd agree. I think my favourite definitely Augusta and Agatha, like their mm-hmm. showdown. Yeah. Like just watching two great female characters and performers was mm-hmm. just fun. Yeah. And you didn't know what was going to happen, like who's going to say what the next scene. You were just like <laughs> on the edge of your seat. Um, really great. Yes. Uh, least least fave, obviously, Gee, the rapes. Did, did, I mean, yeah, I was going to say, do we even need to say it? But yes. The bouncing. I hate it. I hate I it. Just I just loathe that so much. If they just went in afterwards and put slightly different music on, <laughs> I think mm-hmm. we could handle it. Yeah. Um, but th- this is not a comedy. We're not, this is not something that we should be laughing about. The um, references to like, she needs, she needs like salves between her thighs and her head banging mm-hmm. against the headboard and all that stuff. It's like yeah. really, she looked like she was disassociating as well in mm-hmm. one of those scenes of like, and then yeah. I'm like, da, 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 da. like no, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to no. watch this. No, thank you. We can stop that shit. Can we wig talk? Wig talk, baby. Wig talk. Wig talk. There was only one wig to steal all wigs. The wig of the century. The wig <laughs> in 1817. Um, oh, in that yes. scene with Lady D and Violet with the yes. rose running up the back. Incredible. Yes. I oh. don't know how this poor woman holds her neck up. She's got to do some, some She's got to do some serious um uh 
neck strengthening exercises just to to navigate this role because they're insane. <laughs> the wigs are insane and beautiful and she wears them with such distinction and elegance, you know, it, you would think that it weighed less than a feather, um, the way that she acts uh, with that thing on. But uh, yeah, I would agree. That was that was a stunner. Give them the wig Emmy. If there's a wig mm-hmm. Emmy, there's probably hair and makeup. But w- just wigs. Make a wig Emmy. Wigs. Um, uh, you know, I, I do um, want to say that, you know, as part of the dress changing, the slew of dress changing that we had uh, at the beginning of the episode, it was fascinating watching them uh, do dress the pin hair. curls to dress yeah. her hair. It was beautiful. She's like pineapple. Yeah. <laughs> With the but pineapple it, method is works for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With the, um, but uh, yeah, it uh, reminded me. It reminded me of my mom uh, doing oh. my hair as a kid. So it was nice. I liked that she got to like wear her hair down for mm-hmm. the wedding night as well. That yes. was a good touch. Though obviously, completely different wig <laughs> yes that's a wig um, <laughs> yes it was a wig that was made to look like natural hair which was confusing um favorite costume my pet peeves about bridgerton is the lack of hats so i was really excited yes. we got some amazing hats this week excited <laughs> to see i knew you were gonna be happy tr- about that yeah tricorns tricorns mm-hmm. are happening you know yes. we love a tricorn um, mm-hmm. And the little capes of Brimsley yes. and Reynolds like walk into their secret meeting in their fanciest like, capes. Um, <laughs> and oh my god, there was a dress and hat situation in the final scene between Augusta and George where I was like, wow. Yeah. Um, she looked incredible. She mm-hmm. kind of looked like, you know, one of those Dior new. The new look that Dior did in the in the fifties with the with the cinched in weight and the waist and the full skirts and the hats. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's she looks very severe but like hot. Yeah. <laughs> which is the vibe. Yeah. Um, I think my favourite Queen Charlotte dress was the pink one with the grey underskirt she wore mm-hmm. um for their final dinner and then like there was this matching silk robe thing she wore to the observatory. Yes. Cape look, and it was um I just like the contrast of the pink and the grey. Mm-hmm. It was fun. Yeah. I realised, like, I've just looked it up. It's the exact same cut as the wedding dress that I liked last week. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just like the style. Uh-huh. And I love that colour combination, pink and grey. Yeah, it's very unusual. <clears throat> but it works really well. Oh, that's beautiful. And it looked it looked lovely against her skin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see her in more like greens. That's a color she oh, would like. Oh, yeah. I think she'd rock a green. Like the type of green you get in, um, you know, Atonement? Yes. Um, the green dress Kira Knightley wears. Something like yes. that would be. Oh. A silk. Oh, gorgeous. Needle drop moment. Well, I missed it again because I forgot to turn the subtitles on again. If there was like a pop cover, I missed uh-huh. it too. Oh um, goodness! 
What I did notice was the theme for George and Charlotte that plays um, mm-hmm. towards the end of the episode. It's like mm-hmm. this mix of major and minor notes, and it sounds yes. very melancholy and like yeah. bittersweet. Yeah, which but it's beautiful. I, I love mm-hmm. that. But I think it's fitting for their relationship. You oh, know, perfect. it's like yeah. I mean, it's like they love one another so very much, but you know, they are facing uh, challenges outside of their control um, that keep them apart and that that just breaks my heart yeah i mean there was a lot of music this episode you've mm-hmm. got like all the montages of her dressing and then like the sex scene was just like all music mm-hmm. and it was really really good i think the orchestration is really underrated generally because everybody talks about the pop covers all the time yeah but but the soundtrack is lovely lovely you know, and you, we love a great soundtrack to a period drama. So, you know, these, listen to our these... Pride and Prejudice episode mm-hmm. where we just go the piano. <laughs> we go a little bonkers over that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I would I would purchase the soundtrack definitely. Oh yeah, it should be on mm-hmm. Spotify. You don't. Oh, have I'm to. sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> Support the artists. Support the artists. Let them make their zero point zero zero three. Oh <laughs> <Dollars>. God! <laughs> Let's see, okay, performer of the episode. It's hard for me to pick. Uh, I think for me, it's between uh, Michelle Farley and Asame Thomas. Mm. I can't really choose between them, especially that scene they had together. I was like, yeah, they're both fire. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. And it is such a privilege to be able to see them perform together. It's it's just wonderful to watch. Wonderful to see. How many crowns out of five? Um, I'm going to give this one four. I'm going to give it three and a half. Okay. Obviously much better. Still too mm-hmm. much rape. There's a rape curve. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. We've got twice as much rape this week. So. Oh God! Okay, I'm bouncing it down to three and a half. They gotta get rid of the rapey rape rapes. Just if we can Since get I down can't... to zero rapes, yeah. that would be that would bump you up a whole. Number, oh yeah, you know, with without the rapes, absolutely a four. Yeah, without question. And box time. Disclaimer: Some emails have been <laughs> edited for brevity. This section will still be very long anyway. <laughs> please, 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 please. Try and keep them reasonably short, guys, when you write in, because there's only so many hours a day. I need my beauty sleep. I'm very, very tired. Okay. Poor Rita. First email said, hi, girls, Morgana here. I have a few comments about last week's podcast, so prepare yourself for the historian's thoughts. I think maybe you guys are giving too much weight to the Great Experiment plot, or worse. You commented something about it being an easy fix for a problem as as big as racism, and elsewhere I've seen people point out that Bridgerton fixed colonialism and slavery with love and a biracial marriage. I think there's some confusion there, because people seem to think that the world of Bridgerton is our world until Queen Charlotte joins the British royal family, and from then on everything changes – And if that were the story, I would agree that it's impossible. But the series doesn't set out to fix our world or the 17th century British royal family just by putting a black woman in there. 
the Bridgerton world is a fantasy long before Queen Charlotte joined the royal family. For example, in real life, the traffic of black Africans to be slaves in America and Europe starts around the 1580s. The great involvement of the British crown will be from 1640, 100 years before George III came to power and goes on until 1807. This is a period when the UK was dominant in the slave trade. The trade itself lasts much, much longer than that. Mm-hmm. So in our reality, England would never have an already established back- black aristocrat... Aristoc- uh, why can't I say aristocracy? Okay, established <laughs> black aristocracy as it happens in the show. That's why Queen Charlotte's wedding is not an easy concept for racism and we know it. Because this is already another reality from the beginning. In the series, I don't remember them mentioning slavery. They just mentioned social stratification. I saw a lot of people using the term segregation, but the term does not apply here because we have an aristocracy which in the first episode had has no titles, but which is still an aristocracy and has access to places that the poor do not have. Surely they can't ac- access whites, private hunts and the titled aristocracy parties, the ton, but neither do the poor. It's not just because of the colour of their skin. In the first episode, we see they have Asian people in their side too. Asian people have always been perceived as being closer to whiteness, which is... Uh, That is a whole nother discussion uh, for another day. But yeah, yeah, the model minority uh, thing uh, really just needs to take a swift jump off a cliff. But I digress. Racism works in many mysterious and unfathomable ways. Yeah, it does. I think the show... (laughs) <laughs> anyway, back, to the, back I, to the email, yes. I think the show shows, shows that the problem is that there are a biracial aristocracy that come from other countries, other cultures, and this was a very common distinction in the Roman Empire, for example, where they had the local aristocracy and the Roman aristocracy. The Roman aristocracy being the most important, but the local aristocracy continued to be aristocracy. Bridgerton is closer to the social stratification of the newly rich in the 19th century in America, who had money but no pedigree, you know. That's why I think the world here is social stratification and not segregation, because in stratification we have a society divided by class, well punctuated and with difficult mobility, but not impossible. I mean, okay. As for racial segregation... Your social position does not matter. What matters is the colour of your skin. Example for well-known racial segregations are in the USA in the 20th century and apartheid in South Africa. In Bridgerton's world, even if slavery did happen, it would be more like ancient age slavery. Babylon, Syria, Israel, Rome, Greece and several other other civilizations that had slavery as a social class, the base of the social pyramid below the free servants, usually foreigners who lost who lost or were captured in wars and not our black African slavery, which was totally different from all the gate that came before. Um, this is Rita speaking. That is a good point because I think what you often hear from open racists is that oh africa had its own version of slavery and Mm -hmm. they were trading in slaves before and it's like actually no it was much more similar to being like a medieval serf in europe Mm -hmm. that you could work your way out of yeah um so fuck off Mm -hmm. (laughs) um 
All that's to say, Bridgerton is a fantasy, like Harry Potter and Game of Thrones, a world with its own rules, even before the story of these series begins. Sure, I'd like to know what the rules are, though, thank you. <laughs> there, there have got to be some rules, even within the Just tell me what fantasy. the rules are so I know what I'm yeah. watching. Yep, yep, yep. Um, continued. About Lady Danbury, the rape scenes continue. <sighs> the only one I saw was from the first episode, then I just skipped them all. I've seen this scene several times in Brazilian novellas, usually accompanied by the famous phrase, woman, go wash yourself. Today I'm going to use you. Oh. Uttered by the husband. Ugh, a very popular oh. phrase in my grandmother's generation, who is now 64 oh. years old. Oh my God, your grandmother's only 64? Oh my wow. God, you're a baby. Understand that they're they are wanting to show the weight of continuing abuse that lasts for years while making it as light as possible for the viewers. And I cannot. I was so distressed that I couldn't even see the scene of the main couple's first time because I was thinking about the women who still go through this in their marriages nowadays. Mm-hmm. While I was watching the mm-hmm. sex scene, I was sort of also thinking about the rapes I had just witnessed. Like yeah. I couldn't distinguish them in my mind. Anyway. Yeah. Last week, you commented that Princess Augusta rubs Charlotte's menolin. I think she rubs them all on her cheek to see that it's not makeup. You also commented that the darkness of London in the present scene, and I don't think it's to punctuate death. I think it's just to point out that it's winter. Do you know the London winter? The <laughs> Yes, very familiar. The one without <laughs> light, without life, without vitamin D, and that all Londoners look like zombies. That one. I think it's a way of punctuating the life that the social season brings. I don't know. I think it's to distinguish the two, the two different yeah. timelines to not confuse yeah. people. They yeah. did a similar thing in um, Little Women, where all the different timelines had different lighting, and it was really <laughs> fucking weird. Um, finally, a very petty final point: the Kew Palace and Buckingham Palace are eleven kilometers apart. That's seven miles of distance between them. You, they don't share a garden. Servants couldn't quickly communicate. <laughs> What? You mean they couldn't have their little secret uh, rendezvous in the middle of London? Hmm. Can you imagine how long it took him to walk there with the tiny, tiny legs? Oh my gosh! That poor dog. In addition to that, they filmed St. James's Palace at Hampton Court. So every time I see Hampton Court, I think, what are they doing there? It was George's (laughs) grandfather's house. The grandfather he and Augusta hated. (laughs) <laughs> they didn't use the palace. I know, I get really confused because I see Hampton yeah. Court mm-hmm. and I think that's Hampton Court. And then yeah. I have to remember, no, it's St. James. Yeah. <laughs> then I remember it's supposed to be St. James's Palace and I calm down, but they could have at least gone and shot the front of St. James's and taken yes. the surrounding buildings out in post-editing. Just yes. for me, is it too much to ask? No. No. Um, <laughs> XOXO, uh, no funny Morgana today. Bye, girls. Have a lovely day. Thank you, Morgana. Yeah, thank and, you very oh much. Oh my god. That whole St. James Hampton Court clusterfuck. Oh my god. I'm constantly having to go, no, 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 no. St. James, St. James, St. Yes. James. <laughs> yeah, and I I know uh, Hampton Court from watching a bunch of documentaries about uh, palaces and stuff like that. And so, you know, I recognized it when, you know, they were saying that it was St. James. And I was like, no, it's not. Not. They kind of look similar-ish, but mm-hmm. like I think Hampton Court is so much more iconic than 
Oh, absolutely. St. James's, so it's like really weird choice. It's like yeah. he chose the more famous one. Yeah. Is St. James Court still used? Oh, yeah. They mm-hmm. um, recently used it to announce the proclamation of King Charles. Oh. Um, but it's much more private. Um, mm-hmm. but, like, you can't get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and okay. tiny. It looks tiny. It looks like a little <laughs> hobbit house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Hi, Rita and Michelle. Glad Michelle is better. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, thank you for making the wait worth it. Like you both, I was worried that some of the things I disliked would continue in episode two. One of my pet dislikes is constantly moving from one period of time to another, yeah. which seems like it might be a thing um, the whole way through. Sad emoji face. I must say I'm sitting on the fence with this series as there are parts I like, such as the progression of the relationship between Charlotte and Brimsley, but I'm still finding it difficult seeing Charlotte and George as a love match yet. I'm hoping that will change. Praying hands emoji. Also, I am hoping there are no more Danbury sex scenes. Uh-huh. <laughs> you you join our company. Um, the customs and scenery are beautiful, along with your podcasts, which are carrying me Aww. through this prequel. Oh, uh, thank you for all the time you put into making the podcasts. Heart emoji in an envelope. Yours sincerely, Sarah from Victoria, Australia. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah. I love that emoji use. That was. Yeah. That's I didn't sweet. even know you could get a heart in an envelope. Anyway. I know. Um, hello, ladies. I enjoyed this episode, but it continues the awful sex scenes with Lady Danbury. <sighs> it just makes me cringe. The show can do without it. Lord Danbury can find other ways to take out his frustrations for not being accepted in society. I don't understand why the show has to do it. I did enjoy seeing Violet Bridgerton with her grandkids. Cuteness overload. Also, Brimsley holding the gesture. <laughs> Dog was Doggy. very cute. I did like the scene with Princess Augusta sitting down and her gown is spread across the couch. It made her dress look majestic. The location yes. of Princess Augusta's residence looks <laughs> a lot like Hampton Court. I did yes! enjoy seeing King George's butt. Mm-hmm. It was very nice. Yes. <laughs> The scene I enjoyed the most is when Princess Augusta spoke to Lady Danbury about what she dis- what what she discussed during tea with Queen Charlotte. Lady Danbury was not going to spill the tea about her conversation with Charlotte, and she fought to have late Lord Danbury respected in society. Lady Danbury is a standout in this series. Yes, I spotted a pineapple at one of Queen Charlotte's meals and was wondering <laughs> if it was an antique pineapple. Fountain reference. <laughs> She had a lot of sweets at her meal. Oh my god, the cakes! I saw I one big, good, <gasps> like bunt cake, and was like desperate. To, yes, <laughs> I want to try that cake. <laughs> I continued. I'm watching Anne with an E after it was mentioned on your podcasts. I'm truly enjoying the series. Too bad there are only three seasons. I'd like to see more. Looking forward to this week's podcast. And this is Delia from Austin. Thank you, Delia. Delia. I'm glad you're watching Anne with an E. Oh. I. Love that show. <laughs> Hi, ladies. I have missed hearing your wonderful voices and am grateful that you are back covering more Bridgerton Fair. When this spinoff was announced, I, like many, did not understand the need for it. I just want season three of the original series ASAP. We may have to wait on that one. Um, having now finished this series, I can honestly say I'm still not sure we needed a spinoff <laughs> on the Queen. 
But watching Corey, India, and Arsima's delightful performances was a pleasure. No matter where you come down on the series, we cannot fault these fine performances. I can't wait to see what these young talents do next. Overall, I found the tone of the series to be uneven, and that's why I had a hard time getting through the episodes. Episode 2 did have its moments, though. I loved young Lady Danbury standing up to the princess, and the banter between the young king and queen was cute. One other podcast I listened to did suggest that this story of how the great experiment came to be might have been better served told solely from Lady Danbury's perspective. As the story progresses, I would love to get your thoughts on that idea. Anyway, thanks for your time. Glad Michelle is feeling better. That darn COVID just refuses to go away. Take care and be safe. Uh, Annie from Arizona. Thanks, Annie. Well, thank you, Annie. I think that idea of telling the story from Lady Danbury's perspective is fantastic because, like I said earlier... She has the more agency in this yes. story. She's the one that's making the money moves. Mm-hmm. So I, can, I can definitely see how yeah. that could be better. Yeah. Um. Okay, next email. Everyone is getting action in this episode, whether they want it or not. I half expected someone to open a closet door and find Lord Butte and the Dowager Princess discussing Parliament in a very intimate manner. <laughs> you know... It's funny you should say that because in real life there were horrible rumours that Lord Butte was somehow like her lover, which was Mm. completely untrue, but it was used to malign them both. Poor Augusta. Yes. Not nice being slut-shamed. Okay, they continued. There's more to say this week, starting with Brimsley and Reynolds. Maybe it's because I just came out of Sanderton, where I had a complete obsession with Arthur and Harry's love story, but I am all in for these two already. In episode one, there was one brief moment before the wedding between these two where I thought, ooh, I wonder if there's something something going on with Brimsley and that dude. And then I thought, nah, I'm projecting because Sanderton is still fresh on the brain. (laughs) Nope, not projecting. There are things Mm -hmm. to love here. They're both starting out as great characters, each with a devotion to eat their own monarch. Love that. Plus, it's kind of the perfect relationship for them. Nobody in their roles are required or likely even encouraged to get married and have a family. And as they're both men, there's no fear of unexpected pregnancies like in some of the <laughs> other servants getting together storylines I've seen. <laughs> they get to practically live together without raising any eyebrows and (laughs) as long as they're discreet no one's really gonna say boo about it they both know a lot of stuff about the king and queen and i can see both royals protecting them if it came down to it Mm -hmm. i also love that brimsley is surprisingly kind of alpha in this relationship (laughs) not what i expected He's physically shorter than Reynolds, is second in consequence since he serves the queen and not the king and is easily overlooked but in private He's not so meek, and suddenly he's interesting. <laughs> I think their relationship is also interesting because it's one of the few where I have no idea how it turns out, unlike Charlotte and George and Lady Danbury. So I have room to speculate, and that it's always fun for me. Well, <laughs> have you seen Reynolds hanging around in the future? I'm just saying, <laughs> I mm-hmm. don't know that it's a happy ending. Yeah, me neither. Now for the rest. The first five to ten minutes was really a slog. I was bored. 
If there were a Monty Python skit, someone would have jumped out and yelled, get on with it. (laughs) I'm done with the scenes of Lord Danbury ratting on Agatha and then her hopping in the bath. (sighs) Once was enough. It's run its course. The gag is making me gag. Stop now. Yes. Young Lady D's face-off with the Dowager Princess was fun. These women are not stupid and both know how to work what they've got. That said, I'm not loving Young Lady D yet. The crusty, worldly snarkiness works when she's older, but in a younger version of her, it doesn't come off as well. Even if the actress is doing a good job, it makes her a bit smug and not unlikable and not in a good way. How did Lady Danbury know all these crazy sexual positions and sketch them out in the far <laughs> that fast for Charlotte? <laughs> Why have I not thought of that? We've seen enough sex between her and Beetlejuice now. <laughs> it's pretty one night. Has she got a copy of the Kama Sutra in her reticule. <laughs> George and Charlotte continued to be sweet together. I like them. We didn't get enough of them in the beginning, but it was much better later. The love scene with Charlotte and George. Oh my. Well, mm-hmm. that was sensual. They sort of implied George has been with a lot of other women. Reynolds makes a comment about this too. And that doesn't really jive with what we know about George's real life values, but the way he looks at that black shirt before sexy time yum all fools <laughs> forgiven ah there it is they just couldn't end the episode without throwing in that old chestnut the tried and true listening around a doorway overhearing things out uh-huh. of context and jumping to conclusions nonsense yep. sigh couples that don't communicate the bane of all tv romances mm-hmm. I enjoyed George's speech to his mum and felt his frustration all at the stuff he's dealing with. Loved the glimpse of Violet and her two grandbabies. It was funny to have Charlotte look looking to Violet to find out how to get her kids hitched. <laughs> I like Reynolds, but from the side, he has kind of a vague flock of seagulls. <laughs> and he runs, he runs. I ran so far away. away. Okay, <laughs> this episode was better than the first, but hopefully Charlotte figures out what's up with George fast. Final yes. thoughts. I keep wanting to call Brimsley, Grimsby, from The Little Mermaid. <laughs> this is from Tara. <laughs> Thank you, Tara. Thank you, Tara. You're going to ruin Brimsley for me, <laughs> but thank you. Okay, next up. Hello, and Rita, super podcastanistas. Um, I thought uh, Thoughts on episode two. Charlotte, young and older, do feel like the same person. I think they did some mirroring in this episode to show that, like the final scene of the elder queen eating breakfast alone. I thought they had too many scenes of the younger queen doing that, but I guess they were trying to make a point. They both seem to have a naivete about them, like the young queen getting her sex talks from young Lady Danbury, and then saying to George, I would like to avoid the part where my head bangs against the wall. (laughs) That was so cute. It's like she takes things, it's like she takes everything literally. Then the older queen with Lady Danbury and Lady Bridgerton about how to get your kids to marry. It's like she hasn't been paying attention to the romances she has encouraged. She's asking Violet how did she got her kids to marry. Uh, didn't you, the queen, kind of orchestrate some stuff? It was an odd conversation. Young and older Lady Danbury, however, still do not seem like the same person. I like both actresses and characters a lot. They probably are my favorites in the series so far, but I'm not getting the same connection as with the queens. Maybe it's because of Lord Danbury, or Beetlejuice, as one of your other listeners dubbed him, 
Thank you, Tara. Uh, it's so hard to reconcile why she is with him. In the Bridgerton series, Lady Danbury does seem to be a little bit of a romantic, but maybe I was reading too much of it. I guess she's just a matchmaker. In this series, she's not romantic at all, at least not so far. I suppose I have watched too much period drama, blasphemy, or read too many romantic novels. <gasps> but the main storyline of George hiding something from Charlotte and Charlotte misunderstanding is pretty close to Simon and Daphne, or at least so far. I'm not saying it's not interesting, but it kind of it feels kind of deja vu. Like Rita always says, if they would only just talk to each other. Yes. Let's see. <sighs> Favorite scenes. Lady Danbury and the Dowager Princess Augusta. I had to look up why she wasn't the Queen Mother. I'm sure Rita will have explained this. <laughs> Smiley emoji. Um, oh, God. Loved getting this backstory of Lady Danbury and love that she's kind of key to this great experiment moving in a positive direction. Charlotte and George's bow chicka wow wow. And you spelled it perfectly. <laughs> Brimsley and his guy, can't remember his name yet attacking each other and having an argument at the same time. Yes! <laughs> uh, favorite costumes. The queen has so many amazing dresses that it's hard to pick, but I especially noted the one she wore uh, when she was looking for George the morning after. It was more sweet than most of her costumes, and it made her seem happier, which she was for about five minutes. The dowager princess um, on that same morning, kind of a suit-like dress, Gave me some Claire Fraser Outlander vibes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She wore a similar one. Yeah. Yes. Uh, fun Easter egg. Learning that the Smythe Smiths are persons of color. I hope Yay. we get to see them at some point. Yes. That would be I'm great. Be so disappointed if we don't see them. <laughs> Looking forward to your recap and opinions. Your loyal listener, Carol from Connecticut. Thank you, Carol. Hi. Thanks, Carol. Okay. Hi, Rita and Michelle. How is Charlotte able to handle a crowd watching her eat every meal without screaming on day one? Ugh. Ugh. I mean, you would think as a princess, she would be used to it, but you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have watched this episode twice. I still don't get why Agatha emphasized Charlotte's dog being a rare and purebred prom Pomeranian right after she said how important it is that Charlotte is the first of her kind. I know. When I watching that, I was like, what the fuck has this got to do with anything? But the fact that I googled it and then was like, oh, okay, maybe that, maybe, and it's still not very clear. Anyway, yeah. does Agatha assume George thinks the Great Experiment is important? What is George's opinion on the Great Experiment would be? Yeah, that would be good to know. It's his fucking kingdom. You would think mm -hmm. he would have an opinion. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your analysis from Elizabeth. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Thank Elizabeth. You, Elizabeth. <laughs> okay. Hi, Michelle and Rita. Oh, my. How hot are Brimsley and Reynolds? I'd say get a room, but they did. Ha! Laughing face emoji. I love the di diplomacy negotiation in the bedroom. Brimsley. Are his bits deformed, <laughs> Reynolds? From what I can see, they are large and perfectly formed. So who are we talking about here? <laughs> Winky face emoji, hard eyes emojis. Well, this is looking up, and I don't mean through the telescope. <laughs> Poor Charlotte, the tedium of being the queen, not being allowed to do anything for herself, eating, changing dresses three times a day, and all the hair shenanigans. No wonder she's losing it. 
Brimsley, bless him, really does care for her, and you sense he really wants her to be happy, and so he sets to work to remedy the situation. He sets in motion the little pushes from behind the scenes. First enter the deformed bunny! It would seem there is a zinger in every episode. Rita, did you spit out your tea when you heard that one? (laughs) Laughing face emoji, laughing face emoji. And the second great thing is he encourages the acquaintance of Lady Danbury. There's no going back now. I know that there are misgivings about the Danbury sex scenes, but I want to believe it's to show that despite the awfulness of her current life, she is trying to make the best of it and she senses she may have some power to change her path. There is, after all, that saying, pick your battles. That's why she pushes back when Princess Augusta tries to put her down and pump her for information about Charlotte. She puts into stark contrast that she doesn't need money. Her family has plenty. What she needs is the full equal rights of the ton for her whole family. Only then will the great experiment succeed. Touche Augusta, or Agatha. I love seeing the evolution of Lady Agatha Danbury. She is well above the majority of the women and men of the ton in many ways. Her intellect, negotiation, and drawing skills, laughing face emoji, are just beginning. She will make a great adversary to George's mother. Going forward, I imagine Agatha and Queen Charlotte as the dynamic duo taking on the great experiment and crushing it in a good way. Well, we sort of know that anyway. Good on Charlotte for standing up to George, challenging him about her position. Fight with me. Fight for me. They are starting to let each other in a little. Don't worry, Charlotte. George is good with buttons. And and just when we thought they are on the road to togetherness, here comes Mama Augusta. We are left with the feeling that there is so much more for these two youngsters to overcome. Well, I guess I should go and actually write my work presentation now. Queen Charlotte has distracted me enough this weekend. Ciao, Maria from Perth, Australia. Thanks, Maria. Thanks, Maria. Dear Rita and Michelle, episode two, Honeymoon Bliss. Okay, so let me just say that Honeymoon Bliss, anything but. The episode started out with Queen Charlotte living all alone. She asks Brinsley, what is my engagement diary for the week? He says, there is none, your majesty. No, because this is time that you and your husband should be spending together. But no, he's off doing God knows what with God knows who. And they're mad at him. What is better than spending time with his wife? And I want to point out that he wanted to get married to or he may not have wanted to get married, but he talked her into it. Yeah, true. (laughs) I was really married. Uh, Mad. I was really mad. Not only can she not see her husband, but she can't see anyone else. This poor woman. Yes, she is a queen and has fancy clothes, high-end food, and she can go to the gardens. But wow, poor woman. Can't help feeling bad for her. The great experiment. For one thing, I'm mad that you can even call it an experiment at all because it suggests that it can go away at any time Mm -hmm. i'm happy that they are doing it but they shouldn't try it it should just (laughs) be a thing (laughs) (laughs) so i was surprised to hear george's mum say it's an improvement to give out titles to people who look at on look like our new queen because i assumed she wouldn't approve but she's the one who gave out the titles in the first place which also surprised me Violet playing with her two children, imagining that the older baby is Augie or Augie's sibling. It looks like a girl to me, but I could be wrong. 
it could be Kate and Anthony's baby. But I think it is more likely to be Daphne and Simon's second children. I didn't know if they ever... Uh, oh, I don't know if they ever say. Do you know for sure? No. Nope. Your your guess is as good as ours. Mm-hmm. It did. I, one of the kids did look like Augie, but then I was like, yeah. no, Augie would be much older by now. What's happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, loved when Charlotte said, I want to fight with you. Fight with me. Fight for me. That's the part I love in Fight For Me. I, a lot of us don't know what we want, but Charlotte does. She wants a husband by her side. Yes, she didn't want to be married at first, but now that they are, she wants him, and she just wants him to want her. I also mm. loved Lady Danbury and her lady's maid. Shows that have these relationships with their help are quite beautiful. Example, Daphne and Rose, the Queen and Brimsley, and now Lady Danbury mm. and her maid. What happened to this maid? The maid is gone in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, why am I imagining horrible deaths for everyone? Anyway, <laughs> they all get tuberculosis. Um, what was surprising to me was that Lady Danbury didn't like her children, or she didn't like his children, when she said, what if he puts another one of his gigantic babies inside of me? I was like, what? But it does kind of make sense. She never really talked about her children before. I never knew until the show, but it's weird because of how well she is with Simon. She's mm-hmm. just an enigma and an onion. You have to peel her back one layer at a time. <laughs> I'm getting images of Donkey from Shrek <laughs> in my head now. Like an onion, yes. <laughs> I really liked the three women having tea together because these are three strong women, and they have and them having a girl talk is quite funny to me. Also love how they have these have ugh. also love how this series is built around strong women. Queen Charlotte, Lady Danbury, and Violet Bridgerton and the young counterparts. I love to watch a show that brings out a whole cast of strong women. It's just wonderful to watch. I have to say this dog is so cute. I sleep with my dog in bed and she needs to take the dog out of the basket and let it cuddle with her. I know. <laughs> yes. And I love the name of the dog too. Pom pom. Because it's a Pomeranian. It's a good name. Oh, <laughs> look at his little legs. So cute. Yes. <laughs> Love the part where Charlotte says she doesn't want her head to hit the wall. Is there a way to avoid that? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> George's collapse at the end. I didn't think it would start so soon. I thought that they'd have some good years before he started to get ill. I thought it was dementia. It's not dementia. Babes. No, which can be later in life, but it's now. Oh, no. Reynolds says she will never find out. Well, she should never say. <laughs> well, you should never say never, because, of course, she's going to find out. She knows mm-hmm. when we meet her in Bridgerton. I have to say, there was a lot in this episode. Sorry that I ran too long. Your gentle listener, Jen. Thanks, Thanks Jen. Jen. When re-listening to your final podcast for season two of Sanderson, you mentioned your love of Anne with an E. So I started watching it last night and totally agree with you. It is wonderful. I had to email you to not only thank you for recommending it, but to mention that I couldn't get over how much the farmland Jerry looks like a young Ben Lloyd Hughes, Alexander Colburn. When you get a chance, please check out Americ Jet Montaz's IMDb page and let me know if you agree. Thank you again for recommending Anne with an E, and I look forward to listening to that podcast when you get around to it. Best, Anne. Yes, I'm Anne with an E, too. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, thanks, Anne. Thank you. As you said, uh, looking forward to listening to that podcast when you get around to it. I had like a wave of dread of like, oh my god, <laughs> more, <laughs> more. We need to see more, more time, more time in a day for us to be able to watch this. Oh crap! I'm looking at this dude's picture now. He does look like a young Ben Lloyd Hughes. Oh, but imagine him with like a French mm. accent. It's like French. With a, well, it's a French like more accent. Of a Ooh, because oh. he's French Canadian. Yum! Please don't yum him. He's a child. What? He was born when? Two thousand and four. Oh, okay, so he is eighteen years old. Oh, crap! All right. I retract my yum. I'm used to seeing him as like 12 years old as well, which is like just ah, okay. making, I'm like, oh my God, no, he's 12. <laughs> oh Lord. Okay. I do retract my yum. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, let's do episode description. Yeah. You know, the little measly episode descriptions that we get from Netflix. So let us read our three sentences and enjoy what we can. Charlotte and George grudgingly perform their marital duties. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Danbury wants to host a ball. Of course she does. Brimsley spies something curious on Coronation Day. Oh. Oh. Okay. <sighs> a, we get a coronation, so I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, that'll be awesome. Though having but, s- uh, just witnessed a whole coronation, it was very dull. Oh my god, so silly. <laughs> It was like three hours long. It, he changed his it, outfit it, it, like seventeen times. Oh god. Oh god. It was it was a lot. I have to say. I was watching bits and pieces. I didn't watch the, the whole thing. But uh yeah, that was that was a lot. Well, I was on the cruise at the time, so you know, there are other things to do when you're on a cruise. Um, you, you're like, oh my god, it's still going on? <laughs> I know. That's how I felt. I was able to go up to the pool, enjoy the pool, come back down. Oh my god, it's still happening? Jeez. I mean, to be um, fair, anyway. I was mostly on Twitter just making fun of it, but you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that'll be awesome because I'm sure the costumes are going to be spectacular. Um, I am concerned about the Charlotte and George grudgingly performing their marital duties because it shouldn't be grudgingly damn it uh, i don't know how grudging it is i'm not very convinced yeah. that it's grudging considering how into each other they are it's like yeah yeah i think they probably um, have this perception of it as like it's a duty but actually mm-hmm, it's quite fun yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay i guess i have to do this now Whee! <laughs> Oh, and I'm looking forward to Lady Danbury's first ball. I love that this is like a thing that they, mm-hmm. you know, she starts, she kicks off the season. Yes. That's fun. I love it. I love it. Okay. So that's enough nonsense from us today. I'm sure you're like, you know, are you not, you're still talking, you're making fun of the coronation, but then I'm still doing the same. Um, we'll see you all next week. We'll be discussing episode Mm. three. Until then, follow us on social media. Media, we are in the Books Network on Instagram and Twitter. Our arts box is open and so are our hearts. So please 
email us at inthebooksnetwork at gmail.com and we'll read you out on the show. (laughs) Remember, please subscribe, rate and review us because it really helps us reach larger audiences. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. What's the matter with your life? Why you gotta mess with mine? Don't keep sweating what I do Cause I'm gonna be just fine Check it out If I wanna take a guy Home with me tonight It's none of your business And if she wanna be a freak And sell it on a weekend It's none of your business Now you shouldn't even get into Who I'm giving skins to It's none of your business So don't try to change my mind i tell you one more time It's none of your business Now who do you think you are? Somebody's clocking, so ask me nothing, will you just leave me alone? Never mind, who's the guy that I took home to bone? Okay, Miss Thing, never giving up skins. If you don't like him or his friends, what about that Benz? Your pet pet's got an ill rep with all that macaroni trap for rap. You better step, or better yet, get your head checked. Cause I refuse to be played like a fitness and trick deck of cards. No, I ain't hard like the bitches on a boulevard. My face ain't scarred and I don't dance in bars. And let my father do his job. The salt and pepper's got it swinging again. The salt and-